Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here again with one of our guest hosts, uh, Bruce Chang, and we thought we'd have a conversation on what do employers look for in a new grad hire. So, Bruce, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Luki. How are you doing? I'm doing phenomenal, as, as always. Uh, so I thought we'd have a little bit of conversation, share some of your insights and knowledge as kind of a hiring manager uh, looking for kind of that fresh grad there. So uh, first of all, I'd love if we kind of walk through a little bit about the difference between like a recruiter and a hiring manager, because some people don't actually know that there is a difference. They automatically assume that there's just one person doing the whole hiring process. So what are your thoughts around uh, kind of the difference between the two? Of course. So a recruiter is someone who will span out through their networks or even work through our HR process of collecting resumes, filtering through those, and try to shortlist it to uh, a subset of resumes that we, as hiring managers, could review. Often the hiring managers are the ones who are the ones seeking out for the candidate to place those individuals on the team. Recruiters don't often come with the technical depth of knowledge that hiring managers have. They're looking for specific things through their experiences, uh, whether it's, so let's even look in the perspective of banking or fintech. They might look for someone coming from a software engineering background or a comm side background with an interest in um, banking or financial services. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's the right set of skills that a hiring manager is looking for. And so there is sometimes a disconnect between a recruiter and hiring manager. Often hiring managers like myself are interested in seeing all resumes who apply, even those who are not the right fit. So we don't weed out individuals who may accidentally apply or may have applied, but may have accidentally been weeded out by a recruiter. For sure. And the differentiation is usually for larger organizations, because if you're in a small, call it 150% or a 50% startup, you don't generally have the luxury of a full kind of yeah. HR dedicated team. But in large organizations, they will have a dedicated recruiter, which will take the 100, the 1,000 applicants that come in and give the hiring manager, let's call it 10. Uh, that sort of thing or whatever yeah. now and there's different formats because as you said some of them are just uh, meant to fill in the pipeline and get you the 100 the 1000 in there some of them go to the uh, screening process where I actually say you know what I only want to look at like seven or ten or however many it is for a particular candidate uh, mm -hmm. and then the the hiring manager is is really your future boss right you're going to be working yeah. on their team and it might not be your boss or like your boss's peer or someone in that uh, uh senior in that organization but it's probably yeah. someone that you'll be working with whereas the recruiter is they work in hr they have a specific job there I, I like to call them the gatekeepers um and yes. then the the hiring manager are, are really the the ultimate decision makers so uh, those are the people yeah. who you want to make sure that you're in their good graces um oh, yeah. so, so now that we have the kind of the difference so I'd love if you talked a little bit more from the hiring manager's perspective, because there's uh, like the, the experienced hiring manager that knows exactly what they want and can uh, pick it out from a mile away in, in a pile of resumes. And then there's a new person who's never hired before. And they're like, I want to make sure <laughs> that I make yeah. a good decision. So I'd yeah. uh, love if you kind of share a little bit of insights in terms of maybe your experiences and, and your thoughts around around those kind of two, two ends of the spectrum. Of course. So let's take a step back in terms of what a new hiring manager might be. 
this is an individual who's worked as a lead for a number of years, who've really put in their hours and grind hard for the last few years, for whether for this organization or previous organizations, building up their craft in this particular piece of work that they're doing. And so for them, hiring the right person is also an indication of who they are. It represents their productivity or the outcomes that they're able to produce. So for these individuals, it's important to hire the right individuals, the right person to get the work done. And so they'll look for everything that meets all the check marks on a checklist. And they'll go through the rigorous interview process to make sure that these individuals are, are able to say the right things, are able to think the right things as well. But I mean, in reality, not everyone is able to survive through an interview or able to think very clearly in an interview. Uh, and on top of that, we've seen a lot of brilliant people who've struggled to do interviews. So these individuals may accidentally get weeded out by these uh, less experienced hiring managers. And so a more experienced hiring manager may know through hundreds and hundreds of interviews of knowing what what jives with them or what type of individuals uh, seem to go through well within the organization. And more importantly, uh, how many times they've screwed up hiring someone that just wasn't the right fit. I can say for a fact that I've hired a number of individuals who I felt probably could have been questioned again uh, once or twice. So, uh, but that's part of the learn experience of being a hiring manager and the challenges that for an individual on the other side has to deal with. As a candidate, you'll never know if you're applying for a job with someone who is a junior manager or someone new in that role or someone that's very experienced. Now that's a big uh, mystery for everyone, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, what I took from that is, I mean, you have to have a little bit of empathy for the other side where just as much as you're nervous and anxious about getting a job, they're nervous and anxious about finding the right candidate, right? Because yeah. if they had you and, and you work for a number of months and you're not the right fit, well, that's budget that you've wasted time and training and all that sort of stuff that could have been spent uh, uh, elsewhere, right? Um, and then uh, I like what you said about it's kind of uh, represents themselves and their productivity and all that sort of stuff. Because if you are a leader and you hire the wrong person, well, that's kind of a red mark on you to say, well, uh, like you're not a good leader because you couldn't have filtered them. So sometimes people uh, err on the side of a, a caution versus like just jumping with, ah, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a shot and see how it goes. Now, it always depends on people's personalities because you could always have the fun that just want to uh, try whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. And Unfortunately, that's part of being a leader is to learn through these moments and also to take what cards we have and we'll uh, turn them into something more. It's like the whole phrase that people talk about, when life throws lemonade at you, you can make lemonade out of it. It's the same idea. Uh, it's not so obvious for a lot of people, but it's something that it's that more. I wish more and more of my peers could think more about. For sure. And I'd love as we kind of get through like what hiring managers are looking for, we'll probably walk through the, the different parts of the hiring process. So uh, oh, presumably absolutely. someone applied and they, they have a, a resume that's being screened, right? So the, the hiring manager at some point would take a look at it and say, okay, 
I want to interview this person. And then they obviously interview that person. And then there's another round uh, on the side that kind of is, is that networking, uh, kind of the, the side door, back door, <laughs> depending on what you want to think about it, with a referral or, or maybe some other contact where it comes uh, with, with a slightly different um, weighting when you get into the interview process. So, so how about we start with uh, kind of applications and, and, and resumes. If, if you talk to us a little bit about that process from the perspective of a, of a hiring manager and what uh, you would be looking for at that stage. Of course. So when an applicant applies for a role with our team, um, we do look at every resume that applies. Uh, this is not an easy feat. We review hundreds and hundreds of resumes every year. Uh, and we look for, and in my world, we focus on quality engineering. We're looking for someone who it obviously understands the idea that we are testing software in our world. But what's more important is we're looking for someone who is able to solve problems. And we, the best way for us to see how someone solves problems is working through a real problem. Maybe not a real world problem that we have in our world, but we'll bring up examples of some problems that individuals can work through. And some of these examples will require a common set of language that we may want people to have, like programming. So, in mo many of our interviews, we expect our candidates to have a fundamental understanding of uh, Java, JavaScript, Python, or C++, any of these languages, and we'll put them through the ringer to solve a particular problem. And so that's one thing we'll have to look for in these resumes is, does someone have that, a common set of language that we can speak with them on? Mm. Not just English, but a programming language. Another thing that we'll look for is we'll look for the diversity of experience and diversity of background. We find that there's a lot of candidates, uh, we find, sorry, not candidates, but rather we find that a lot of those individuals who have worked with us or are working with us, who perform very well, have very diverse backgrounds. Um, you would imagine that on a team like this in quality engineering, everyone has a computer science background. Uh, quite the contrary, I come from an electrical engineering, biomedical engineering background. Uh, I have a high performer on my team who graduated from biomedical science uh, from, I think, Western Ontario. I have another individual who's graduated from electrical engineering, also from U of T. I have another individual who comes from slightly background from all of that as well. So we all come from very diverse places uh, and very humble beginnings, and some of these that some of that helps craft the stories of what this individual is about. And so that's what we're also looking for in a resume is what is the story of this individual? Often it's easy to tell that, uh, interpret and make assumptions about a story when we see jobs. But when an individual doesn't have any job experience or any working experience under their belt, then we're looking for things like volunteering or GitHub repository or the kind of things that they do that has helped them craft the kind of things that they're, they enjoy doing. That helps us understand the way they think, the perspective they have, and how maybe that might even complement what we need because we lack that type of visibility. At TD, we celebrate diversity. And so it's important for us to be able to find these type of individuals and be able to help bring them uh, to our organization and be able to help bring that uniqueness to ensuring that our customers have a delightful and enjoyable experience. 
Sounds good. What I took from that is from the applicant side is uh, if you don't have kind of like a depth of experience and if you're a new grad, chances are you don't unless you have like uh, extensive co-ops or what have you, uh, mm -hmm. then make sure to have things like the volunteer experience, uh, student clubs or what have you, because that just shows uh, a little bit of depth versus like the 4.0 in, in, in whatever course and, and what have you. Um, and you don't necessarily have to be kind of the quote-unquote traditional person because if you can think you know what i could do that job and i feel that i could uh add value to the organization then uh, it, it's something that you should ideally go after because there are a lot more organizations that are valuing like diversity and and they want to find kind of like those those diamonds in the rough that don't follow the traditional mold because they know that uh they could uh, probably bring a different perspective creativity innovation all that sort of stuff because they're not part of the, the cookie cutter uh, back side that, that everybody else has so so that would be interesting yeah. Um, yeah i think there was one more thing that i didn't mention which is very difficult to notice in a resume far easier to notice in a conversation is trust how do you how do you demonstrate trust in a resume it's almost impossible which is one of the reasons why a lot of people talk about networking and going out and meeting individuals. In fact, if you're relying on a contact that has a very loose connection with you, strangely enough, psychologically, that individual will have a higher degree of trust to with you than someone that has a stronger or who knows you even better. I, and I so, think that's a great point. Yeah. Where, where I would say it's it's not a matter of applying or networking. It's actually uh, applying and networking, where both of those kind of work hand in hand and complement each other. And if you can have uh, someone who, who uh, is able to refer you when you apply or even um, before you apply because they're already thinking about you, that's an even better state to, to be in. Yeah, and if we go back to the earlier examples of what we talked about of a more experienced or junior hiring manager, if I'm a junior hiring manager who is uh, top of my game and hasn't really had that experience of building a team or being a people manager before, I'm going to need someone who I can trust. And so that networking piece is what helps create that connection because it's hard to convey that degree of trust, especially for someone who, who may not have that experience of knowing how to deal with uh, ambiguity and trust. For sure. And obviously the, the guidance that you're providing is based on your experience in kind of that quality engineering space and the technology space. In, yep. um, finance side, it might be a little bit different. Humanity side, it might be a little different. But at the end of the day, the hiring manager will be looking for something and you have yep. to figure out what it is that they want and ideally uh, give it to give them what they want. Now, the, the other side is you have to be careful not to uh, kind of predict and, and not sell yourself uh, short because they might actually want you, not the, the picture or the vision of that you're trying to portray, right? So just be mindful of, of that situation as well. Oh, yeah. And we've ran into so many candidates who wrote on their resume that they're very experienced in Java programming. They've done all these things. But then when we start asking questions about their experience or start asking uh, coding problems or let's say, let's look at finance asking questions about Excel, how would you do like account if, or how will you add all these certain pieces of data together, people freeze. And unfortunately, uh, oh, and even sometimes these individuals just don't know. And that that's not a good thing to leave an impression that you, on your resume, you seem to know more than what you're able to do. So it's important to always, Double check 
is what you're saying in your resume it, something that you can back up 100% and at the same time are you able to continue to push those boundaries so that you're marketable that you're you are someone that's trustworthy and that you have the experience to be able to do that work and sometimes we don't always have the experience for it but we have to be able to speak to it or have enough confidence in ourselves behind it for sure and and what i uh was chatting with a, a, another hiring manager previously was that they, they spoke to sometimes it's okay not to know but i really love that, that you can demonstrate your ability to learn and pick it up quickly and and and, and things like that. because we don't expect you necessarily to know everything right but the more that you can show like well i actually don't know that that's actually a great bit of self-awareness and 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 this is how i would learn it in, in, instead or this is how i've demonstrated an ability to learn something similar or whatever that those can be good uh, ways of approaching it as well um, and I, it's good that you brought that up because um, as a more experienced hiring manager, we actually ask intentionally, like I have a committee of people on my team and I join calls, two or three interviewers, and we intentionally ask questions that a candidate will not have an answer for. It's not so much that we want them to see struggle, but rather we want them to understand how to work through uncertainty or ambiguity. When we don't know if this is an individual we can trust, that's a very easy mean for us to go build that degree of trust in a very short period of time, seeing how they think. And if we're, we trust the way they think, even if they, they get to the wrong answer, that's okay. Because if they're logical enough, they're someone that we can trust, giving them a problem to try to work through, and then we can help guide them through uh, things that will get them stuck and help them become more proficient at the work they want to, uh, the craft they want to build. Sounds good. So, so we've uh, dove a little bit into the interview process already, but before we go there, I'd love if you comment a little bit about things like cover letters and LinkedIn profiles. Mm. So while you're screening, how much do those pet play a role in the actual <laughs> selection of a candidate? What, what, what are your experience and, and uh, thoughts? Um, I don't read cover letters. <laughs> it's just too wordy. Um, I just don't have enough time to be able to scan through a cover letter or any cover letter for that matter. I just go straight to the resume. And again, that reason for that is um, I don't want filter packages coming to my desk. I want to be able to look at every resume. And that means I'm going to have to give up on something. And that something is going to be the cover letter. And so this is just from your personal experience, because I know other uh, hiring managers that will say, no, they, they read every single one of them. And what they do is say, like, one, did you even write one? Because if you did, it shows that you took a little bit more time. It's as if you actually want the job, right? Took an extra half an hour, an hour, or however long it takes. And the other part is they take a look and, and say, is it kind of the traditional, like, templated, uh, dear sir or madam, I'm applying to job is blah, blah, blah. Or is it actually like a heartfelt and, and a genuine cover letter? And the templated ones, yeah. I know some people actually put an X and say like, no, like they just did it because it's there and they didn't really put any effort uh, versus the ones where they actually uh, either name drop or put some effort or this and that in terms of the research that they've done. Then those those very personalized, customized ones are, are ones that uh, will help them make a decision. Now, uh, does that make up for a, a, a lack of experience and bad resume? Uh, probably not, but at the same time, it could be a, a, a deciding factor. So I like to say that it's often a, a tie break. So let's say I'm only interviewing uh, five people and I have one more interview slot, but I have a decision between two or two or three candidates. Uh, oftentimes, if, if the resumes look so similar, 
then they'll, they'll have to look at stuff like cover letters, yeah. like LinkedIn, LinkedIn profiles. So I'd love if you have a thought, do you take a look at LinkedIn profiles and things like that? Or no, that's another thing you have to give up. Okay. We do. We look at anything that we can that can help us differentiate. So like I mentioned earlier, uh, we take a look at people's GitHubs a lot. Uh, if they include a GitHub link, we actually look at several of their projects to see how they write. Uh, we can also differentiate between what a group writes and what an individual writes as well. So that makes things a little bit easier for us. Uh, we also looked at LinkedIn as well, just because this is a public forum that they're, they're putting themselves out there for general public. They're not trying to sell it to me. So how are they selling their image to everyone else? That helps us see, are they tailoring their message just to make us happy? Or is there a different vision that they have in mind as well? There has to be a consistent message between what we see and what some of the LinkedIn profile as well. Sounds good. So now that you've selected a handful or however many candidates in order to interview, what do you look for in the interview process? Uh, now, I've, I've talked to folks in the past to say that the interview process is a little bit biased because it does uh, work with people who are kind of like the, the little bit more extroverted person who can kind of think on the spot, stuff like that. Whereas if you think about what happens in the real world, like you get a problem, you go away, you figure it out, and then you present it back. But unfortunately, in an interview, you have seconds <laughs> to start your, your answer to go through. Unless you do like a case one, then maybe they'll give you some extra time. But uh, what are some of the things that you look for in folks uh, in the interview process, given that uh, it's, it is a, a skill that actually has to be mastered on its own? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know what? I find that this is where a lot of uh, hiring managers and recruiters are not very good at. Um, we tend to forget that candidates are scared. They're very, very scared. They're worried about the things they say. They're worried if they're going to say too much or too little or whether they have everything. It's like studying for a test. If you know what you're studying for, it's very easy. But if you have no idea what to expect or you have some sense of an idea, it's probably one of the most stressful experience ever. In fact, a lot of individuals have sleepless nights leading up to an interview because of that. So that's not fair to place candidates in a position where they're going to fail. So one of the, so we do our best to try to ease our candidates in. So one of the things I do is I'll give a five minutes summary of what we do, what our team does, and how does it all come together on behalf of TD. Then I actually ask the candidates questions. So I'm sure in previous podcasts, you must have asked, told numerous listeners that they should come up with questions. They should prepare uh, questions for their interviews. Well, rather than wait to the end when you're tired and stressed and you're just not sure of how you did, we actually give the candidates the opportunity to ask questions. And we find that this is really, really helpful for to ensure that the candidates actually knows what our role is all about, what our team is about, and be able to drill to end depth if they needed to, to really understand what's entailed in this role. And at the end of it all, they could say, you know what, this is not for me. Uh, I don't want to continue. Or they could say, you know what, this is really, really cool. I'm more relaxed. I think I know what's in, what, what you're looking for. Let's go with it. Or let's throw, throw what you have at me. And so 
that's how we've been helping our candidates feel more relaxed and more ready in the interview is by giving them an opportunity to ask questions and be more aware of what our roles are and what our world is. Then we'll ask one simple question around uh, some sort of behavioral questions or something about their background. It's more of just e just transitioning or and then we'll start asking questions that we know intent that we will intentionally ask this individual that they don't may not know how to re respond to. Um, again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's not about the response, the correctness of the response. It's how they walk logically walk through how they want to respond. That to us is more important because that helps us understand the way they're thinking and how open they are to sharing problems that they have or where they get stuck at when uh, when working through any problem. Because in the real world, if I give Josh uh, a problem, I don't know if he's going to succeed. I don't know if it's too hard for Joe. But Joe better is be able to speak up and say, hey, Bruce, I don't understand X, Y, Z. Can you help me explain it a little bit more so I can understand the scope of what I'm supposed to do? So that's something important for us. And again, this is this goes back to again to what I said earlier about trust. We don't have a lot of time to build that trust. Often many of our candidates are not referred to us. So we have 30 minutes or one hour max to establish a degree of trust that this individual could trust us as if we're their colleagues. So how will they behave under with that sense of trust? With that trust, then we can start seeing, is this someone that we can put on our team? And is this an individual who under, who we can believe will walk us through a problem when they're stuck on something? Sounds good. A couple of things that I took from that is, uh, some hiring managers that they appreciate that candidates can be scared, anxious, nervous, like they, they mean, this might be the first interview ever, or there might be very seasoned interviews, whatever it is. But uh, I like how you were able to kind of uh, have that kind of uh, more easing into the conversation. So that uh, kind of makes them trust you more. And, and I've heard this uh, concept called the kind of like a reverse interview where you basically have the candidates interview you so that you can they can talk about things and then uh, from their questions and you kind of add and, and poke in a little bit more about uh, their experiences in a similar uh, area so that uh, you can kind of see like is there a fit because if it's just you answering questions or asking questions then it's a one way versus if you start with with them uh, kind of opening up and what the, they, the value they could provide or the areas that they're interested in you can ask uh, more about the areas of interest and then there, there should be a logical connection if you could see that, that fit. Yeah. Um, so definitely uh, can appreciate that. Yeah, they're sleeping nice. But I, I think from the, the candidate side, what, what this kind of shows is you, you still need to prepare, right? It's, it's not one of those things where uh, just because you know how to do like quality engineering or whatever, that you can talk about it for uh, 30 minutes to 60 minutes. Right? <laughs> Usually yeah. anytime you have to do any presentation, right? You, you need to practice one, a hundred, a thousand times, right? So it's almost the same sort of thing, right? Now that the challenge is you won't know exactly that the questions or the format or whatever. Um, so hopefully you uh, will be, be able to kind of uh, anticipate and kind of uh, see or, or the typical, tell me about yourself, tell me questions about the, the, the company, the role and things like that. Uh, and then hopefully your interviewer also makes it easy enough uh, where you can have more of a conversation versus that. Yeah. But once in a while, you'll have more of like the interrogation style <laughs> interview. So you'll have to be prepared for some of those as well. Yeah, and to be honest, that's also a, 
good way of seeing whether or not this is an employer that you want to work for as well, mm -hmm. right? If they're the kind of person where they just hop right into an interview and they just start grilling you nonstop, and like you and you can sense that their position based on their tone, they're not the right individuals that you will want to work for. I think these are individuals where they expect you to deliver right on the spot that you know everything. But the reality is not everyone knows everything. So it's also an interview in itself for the candidates to see if this is an individual they want to work for. It's easy for me to say that because I'm in a position of authority and that I'm I have I'm relatively seizing in my career. And it's very hard for a new grad to say something like that, especially if they they're job hunting for the last five or six months, right? I can tell you from my own experience. I like when I graduated from undergrad uh, or grad school, I was job hunting for months and months, and I was struggling. I was willing to take anything. Uh, same when I got let go. And I think in our last podcast, I talked about some of those failures, and I struggled, and I was looking for pretty much anything as well. But if an individual picks up the wrong thing or the wrong work, they're also setting themselves up for failure as well. And they may not be in it for the right kind of experience that can help them grow. So think of it also from that perspective of that a candidate is also interviewing an interviewer and trying to see if this interviewer is the right kind of person that they want to work for. Right. And what that kind of brings to mind for me is like, if you can practice at the point where you're comfortable enough, where you're interviewing the employer, then that means you're in a good state, right? Because if you still have like the, the nerves and what have you, then maybe you need to practice a little bit more, get, grab some friends oui. um, who, who are going through, or maybe some, an aunt or uncle or someone, cousin, older brother, whatever, sister that, that can help you kind of go through it. Uh, but, but if you get to the point where you're able to say, you know what, the, the way that they're approaching this is not the type of work environment that I want. Um, yeah. But the other side of it could be is like, actually, afterwards, I like the challenge, the fact that they were able to kind of grill me interrogate. That might be like, this is, this seems like a place where I could thrive. So don't yeah. just treat that as a place uh, that because they're doing it, it's not right for you. You have to do it based on your kind of personality and interests and things like that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're absolutely right there. Yeah. Some people like to work under that, comp that, in, in that um, pressure cooker environment and they thrive in that. Sounds good. And as, as we kind of close out the, the interview part, so are there any kind of specific areas where um, you, you really want to you probe or kind of validate? So a lot of it is the, the trust, the understanding. Uh, do, do they, it's the thought process, less about the, the correctness of the answer. Those are a couple of things that I picked out. Uh, are there any other specific things that, that you'd suggest for folks to kind of practice, to learn, to, to, to get through as they kind of go through the, the job search process to make a good impression on, on yourself or other hiring managers? Um, except every interview is going to be a failure. <laughs> I think, uh, strangely enough, it's a really odd advice. If one accepts that every interview could be a failure, the stress kind of gets reduced. It doesn't go away, it kind of gets reduced and that um, you don't feel that you have to make sure that this interview is perfect and that it has to succeed because sometimes the our best performance, especially in moments where there's a high degree of ambiguity, um, it's when we're relaxed 
We're not in the Olympics. We're not interviewing for it with other people in an Olympic manner where someone's going to get a gold medal. Those games have defined rules that people practice for years and years. Interviews do not have those defined rules. So being relaxed is very, very crucial for something like that. I think, I think that makes sense because uh, it, it's one where if you're in that heightened state, then uh, you're more likely to kind of miss something versus when you uh, are in that more relaxed state, you're, you're probably going to pick up a lot more. Uh, what one thought or suggestion that I have for folks is it's oftentimes a perspective because if you actually think about it, when you're nervous or anxious about something, you're actually excited about something else, right? So instead yeah. of talking about how nervous you are about the interview, talk, uh, tell yourself how excited you are about landing this job and be able to add value to this organization and then bring that into the interview, which I think that would be uh, very helpful. Oh, yeah. Hopefully it brings you a little state of relaxation as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. That's a, that's a good way of looking at it too. So that sounds good. So as we kind of uh, close on our discussion on what, um, hiring managers are, are working, looking for. So we talked a little bit about the, 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 the resumes, uh, a little bit on the cover letter or lack of, uh, also on, on LinkedIn, GitHub, and other portfolio pieces as well. We talked a little bit about the interviewing side. We didn't really dive too much on, on the networking side. What, what would be your thoughts on, in terms of networking and connecting with folks uh, during the hiring process or even ahead of that? Um, so this is where we rely on a particular vendor so we use FDM a lot. In a way, it's almost like an indirect uh, networking mechanism where they hire for candidates. They bring on people and we trust, rely on their trust or our trusted relationship with them to be able to connect us with the targeted candidates for our team. Uh, it reduces our, our, our interview time. It allows us to, uh, uh, look, ask for certain questions that we don't have to ask uh, under normal circumstances and also assume certain things that these individuals will have. Like, for example, why I mentioned is about programming. Uh, just having that core fundamental knowledge of programming of C++, Python, and so forth. But that doesn't have to be the only form. This is also where uh, meetups are useful. Finding out if there are relevant meetups that exist in the profession that you have. You don't have to go there and just interview for people, but being able to, let's say it's a new grad. New grad on their fourth year of university, they're looking for work, struggling to find work. If they're attending meetups for a particular industry of interest, and they're just being there to meet people, listening to, uh, to presentations, and then talking to some of these people afterwards. Just the simple act of doing that will create a degree of relationship or a very loose relationship with a number of these individuals. And by showing that you understand the lingo and the language of what these people say and how they communicate, they might be able to refer you to someone else that they know who may be hiring. Again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier that uh, <clears throat> sometimes it's the loose relationships that will get you in that door because it creates some weird trust relationship that exists. And that's because there's an intermediary person who that hiring manager deeply trusts. And that person in the middle sees that this individual checks off a few things as well. For sure. So meetups are important for that. Uh, I know 
I, I'm a member of PEO and APEGA. Oh, no, sorry, not APEGA. Um, uh, PEO, which is our professional engineering society for Ontario. Uh, and, uh, and I'm also a member of PMI as well. There's a lot of meetups on those uh, for those organizations as well. So a lot of wonderful opportunities. Sounds good. So for, for those looking, go find your professional association, meet with people and get to know them more. So so don't necessarily network to, to get a job, network to, to uh, get to know them, understand the lingo and, and what folks are looking for. And then from there, hopefully some uh, good relationships uh, come up. And uh, what I often say is like, well, if, if you were a hiring manager and you had a choice between like two different resumes, but one of them, like Bruce actually met them or someone that you know actually met them, even for five minutes, 10 minutes on, on whatever, who would you rather interview? Well, uh, assuming that, that Bruce has uh, good things and decent things to say, <laughs> I definitely want to interview that person instead because I have a yeah. limited amount of time. So uh, definitely that, that networking can help. So it's not, uh, again, back to the applying or networking, it's the applying and networking that they're there. Exactly. Uh, are, are there any uh, other tips and tricks that you might want to share for folks to help them stand out uh, for, for yeah. hiring manager, just kind of in general through any of the the, the um, hiring process that we were talking about before? Any ones of that course. you want to close off with? Of course. Email at the end of an interview really helps. It, especially if it relates back to uh, what the interview experience was like. Um, if, you if you truly appreciate that, conversations and enjoyed the moments that finishing touch of sending an email and just reciprocating that you've enjoyed those conversations and that you hope to have more of these conversations it's a nice way to end it whether it succeeds or not it leaves a good impression of this person and hopefully an opportunity to think about this person for for other opportunities that might come up Sounds good. And I know that a lot of folks in internship and like co-op programs, they're, they're coached to do this and they're almost uh, oh, yeah. mandated to say you have to do that. But for the folks that ha don't have the benefit of those programs, they kind of miss that. And it's, it's a surprising uh, few number of people that actually w will do that if they're not specifically coached. So uh, you heard it here. <laughs> Definitely a, a nice little e email that kind of connects the experience and, and how you relate and ideally supporting how you can add value to the organization and that you're actually interested in, in the job. Uh, that, that can go a, a long way. So uh, th thanks so much, Bruce, for sharing your perspectives on how uh, we can have an understanding of what employers are looking for in a new grad hire. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have you back for a future episode. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. Thanks, Luki. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu. L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U and the same on most social media platforms and I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.